Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Uncommon Life Project. I am your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. Thanks for tuning in. You know, if you've been a part of the show or you're just tuning in, we're grateful that you're here. Brian and I are financial advisors that try to put you in charge of your finances and make you your best asset. And so this podcast is highlighting uh, many people either that are on this uncommon life journey or they uh, will give you some tips and tricks to help you on your own uncommon journey. Today, we are talking to uh, an awesome guest and we're going to kind of dissect exactly how he got on his uncommon path. Uh, I cannot wait to get this man on the show. And we've got a history, this guy and I. <laughs> I feel like some secrets are going to come out here. A little bit. <laughs> no, we might get it on. That. All right, let's get the bio on. Let's get him on the All show. All right. Let's go. This is maybe one of my bigger bios I've ever done. So I don't want to screw this up. All right. Born in Gary, Indiana. Lived in Sioux City, Iowa with the one and only Philip Ramsey. And now currently residing in New York City. Antoine L. Smith, Emmy Award winning Broadway and television actor and voiceover extraordinaire. Please welcome him to the show, everyone. Antoine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Voice of an angel. Thank Voice you. of an angel, the golden pipes himself. Antoine thank L. Smith. You. Thank you. Thank Man. you. Man. All right. Where do we start? I want to do this. This is what I want to do. I kind of thought about this earlier. One, you and I have a lot of history. We went to high school together. We so did. there. But what I want you to say is the first time you walked on that Broadway stage, what was going through your head? Uh, oh, wow. You know, what's so funny that uh, July 5th, which is coming up, will be the, the, day, the day that I made my Broadway debut. So after wanting it for so, so long and mm -hmm. then finally getting it there's there's a moment of disbelief there's there's a moment of humbleness there's a mm. moment of, of 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 gratitude just all those feelings all mm. coming together at one time a, a lot of people would like to think that when you first step on a stage or enter to that job that you wanted for so long that you're just like yes 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 and of course inside there is that but also there's like oh my god i'm so nervous <laughs> finally made it i'm up here with people that i've looked up to my entire life i've made it to the right, goal right. Of, 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 of everything that i've ever done uh so there were moments that i remember there are moments that i don't remember but i mm -hmm. know that i made it through that day but uh just to be on that stage just brought so much joy so much honor to my family because my yeah. parents yeah. You know, they sacrificed so much for me right. and my brother to achieve our dreams and to mm -hmm. finally achieve them and to do that for them. It, it was it was amazing. It still gives me chills to this day. Right. Everything that I do to this day, I try to do it to to honor them the best that mm. I can. Sure. Dude, that's great. I love the start of this. So I do want to then pull back here and like <laughs> kind of walk through your uh, story of how you got to that point. 
and and for me, like this is really exciting because uh, I mean I've witnessed this of this this dream of yours when it was just a let's just say a mustard <laughs> seed, if we will, uh, and and then I've also seen you sing, I've seen you perform, I've been next to you performing, yes. uh, but I, I love I like championship winning performances, championship might winning. I add. right? We've had a dancer on, and and Brian kind of alluded that I can wiggle. But uh, <laughs> not to the championship level that you and I know about that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I love starting the story with that when you walk out on the stage, uh, because I've run a marathon and, and the sacrifices that you've had to do, the training you've had to do to get up to that point. I remember taking that first step and almost like bursting into tears. Like, right. There is something about setting out and achieving and sacrificing and then getting to this level um, that is so rewarding Absolutely. and you wouldn't ever have any other way. And I bet you like just the experiences you've had, even the bad experiences, the times that you've fallen flat on your face have created Antoine L. Smith Absolutely. to now that you are on Broadway and you are a, a pinnacle of what's going on in New York. And people are looking to you as a beacon, not only from, you know, Sioux City, where I met you, but in New York, like you are doing it, brother. So how did you start down this path? And when did it start turning into like, I'm going to make this professional? Hang on. Oh, how far do you want to go back? Let's uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just start in high school where Philip Ramsey and I met. Okay, uh, <laughs> we were both on the West High School uh, dance team, dance squad. I don't know; depends on what you want to call it. Uh, championship all male dance squad. Come on, ride that train. <laughs> 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 so, uh, I want to say that that I truly got serious about doing what I wanted to do in high school and um, being a part of such an amazing uh, community of our dance squad and having that family at school as well as at home. I mean, we, we were together all the time. We would get to school for rehearsal at five forty-five in the morning. People right. have no idea. And we would rehearse for like, three hours before school even started. Then we would have the school day and then people that did sports like Phil, I wasn't doing sports, but you know, <laughs> to then stay after school to do sports and all that. But anyway, I just say that to say, uh, my dream pretty much started coming to fruition in high school. Uh, I was on the dance team. I, I was in the choir. I sang, I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes people's strong suits are not sports are not politics. Right. Sometimes you're supposed to be an artist. And that, that, that's mm. just as awesome. So, um, you know, and I think it's funny because when I say to people like, hey, we're on the dance team, they're like, oh, boy, like they don't understand what no. it was. This and was, I, this was serious. Yes. This is like, hey, ESPN we're going not only. Right. <laughs> like we're going to it. And and I remember the first time I mean, I was a freshman. They came to us and said, hey, we want to have a dance squad. Up to that point, the whole state, the whole deal, it was like get your pom-poms out and, and let's shake your butt and people are going to cheer. And I remember they were like, no, we're, we're taking this to the next level. Right. Do you want to do it? And as a freshman, I didn't really know what we we're getting into. And, <laughs> and at up this point they had like a co-ed dance team and, and they would throttle. They would go to this competition and just throttle people. Right. Like people would never even know, Oh my goodness, there's trampolines and there's fire. And <laughs> it was a different <laughs> level. Remember them asking us, 
hey, do you want to do an all-male dance squad? And Antoine, there was a couple people that were instrumental in my life, but Antoine Smith was one of those. There was another guy named Jeff Olerandami. Oh, Jeff. Mm. And so Jeff Olerandami was a flipper, but Antoine Smith, Jeff Olerandami, and I, man, we... We were the three. We were the three. Uh, <laughs> the trifecta. We were in the three. Oh, we really were. We, what were the, the names on our jerseys? I can't even remember. Remember we had those jerseys? I don't know. But when you say like we were, we were practicing, like we would get there at five o'clock in the morning every day. And then our first period of our like school was dance squad. Right. <laughs> like, and we weren't talking about like 25 dance routines. We were doing two, all male and co-ed. That's all we would do. Mm. <laughs> and I remember going to the state and thinking like, okay, are we going to be good? Are we not going to be good? And, and just to kind of uh, go back to what you said of, you know, af- as you practiced, you know, uh, and, and sacrificed going out on that stage. Um, and I remember Antoine, I don't know if you, you probably remember, this is probably your life now, but I remember not even remembering the dance, like, uh-oh, like walking out on that stage, no idea what the first like move was and it being so loud, like I can't even hear myself think. Right. And performing, I mean, it was, it was dynamic. Absolutely. Um, and, and so anyway, so that's where we started. And I think that it really did shape who I was because of the sacrifices that we had to commit to at the early hours and then just being good at one thing. We didn't have to be right. great at everything. We just need to be good at one thing. Right. Uh, and so, so then that, I think, also shaped you. And I remember you singing. I remember you doing the national anthems. Um, and you were always got an amazing voice. I remember my, my parents and I went to go see you at church because you had a solo. And we were like, oh, uh, we're doing that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Zion. Oh, Mount Zion. Oh, Mount Zion. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> But then, so, so let's talk through more of that. And then now you start and get out of Sioux City and you're going to go do the deal, but it's not like you get to Broadway right away. No, no, no. Uh, I actually not. went to the University of South Dakota for classical voice because I mm. was planning to be an opera singer, but that mm. did not happen. Uh, to be an opera singer in the United States as a black man is, is pretty hard. So uh, most most careers that, that you can actually make a living off of happen in Europe. And I wasn't trying to, you know, mm-hmm. be in Europe. But uh, so uh, after uh, the University of South Dakota, I, where did I go? I went to Denver for a little while, um, you know, just, just living actually. Mm-hmm. And once I returned back from Denver, I decided that I wanted to go to culinary school. So hmm. that's where I went, DMACC. College for culinary school. Hey, they have uh, a good culinary <laughs> oh, school. It's an amazing right, culinary. right. It was yeah. when I went, it was the one of the top fifty culinary programs in the mm. United States of America. So um, I completed that program, and literally, and I kid you not, three weeks after I graduated from culinary school, I joined the uh, national tour of Sesame Street, where I played Big Bird. For two and a half years, like a lot of people don't know that, but I'm doing wow. information right now. So <laughs> I uh, I played uh, Big Bird for two two and a half years, and after that, I moved to New York City in December of 2007. After which, I joined the Broadway tour of Cats mm-hmm. for a full year, 
after returning back from Cats, I think I did a, a bunch of regional theater. Uh, and then I eventually made my Broadway debut July 5th of uh, 2011. So it, 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 it was a journey to get there. But once I got there, I was able to look back and say, man, Antoine, you, you really had a journey in life to mm-hmm. get where you are. So it, it's, it's that much rewarding once you actually make it there. Mm-hmm. So I'll keep going. So uh, uh, 2000, July 5th, 2011, I made my Broadway debut in Memphis, the musical, Tony Award winning best Broadway musical for that show. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. Amazing musical. So, so awesome. Um, yeah. if, if you guys don't know, Google it or, or go to YouTube and why it's, it's amazing. Uh, so in 2013, I joined the Broadway national tour of Cinderella. I went out and did that for a year. And then in 2015, I joined the Broadway company of the Color Purple revival starring mm. Jennifer Hudson, oh, wow. Grammy and Oscar award winning Jennifer Hudson, uh, two time Oscar nominee, Tony Grammy Emmy winner, Cynthia Erivo, Tony Award nominee, Danielle Brooks. I mean, this whole, this cast was absolutely unbelievable uh that experience was was uh was life-changing to say the least how do you get in front of these things like do you have an agent oh yeah i have an agent i have a uh i have a a theater agent i have a television agent and i have a voiceover agent so okay wow all of yeah all of those agents and they're 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 amazing ddo artist agency if anybody's interested so uh I did uh, The Color Purple for a year. That show lasted for a year. Then I went on to do uh, Miss Saigon on Broadway. Mm. Um, Then I went on to do Carousel on Broadway. And now I will be doing MJ the Musical. Okay. Now we're talking. Now we're talking Philip Love Language, (laughs) all right? I've spent, I can't tell you how many car rides I've spent with Philip. He has actually amazing (laughs) amazing DJ skills too, by the way, if uh, if your wedding is coming up. Uh, post COVID, but uh, MJ is his is his number one. Yeah, I know kind of my spirit animal, and uh, we got a lot of roots for old Michael Jackson. I'll just oh, say yeah. that. Um, so let's go back. At what point did you hit some adversity in your in your in your career, and how did you work through that? One, what was it, and how did you work through that, and how has it shaped you to the man you are today? So in this business, there is a lot of adversity, especially for Black people or people of color, mm-hmm. uh, because in the industry that I work in, it is a predominantly white field, and 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 that starts from the producers on down, from the the casting offices, uh, the directors, the uh, people that write the shows. But um, a lot of times, you go in these rooms full of people that don't look like you, and you have to remember why you are doing what you do because sometimes it, it, it can it can make you want to turn away or or want to run away mm. but then when you remember why you are doing this who you are doing this for all of the struggles that you have been to to get to this point not that it completely overshadows what you have to deal with but it it, it makes it it makes it more palatable if if that mm. makes sense um and and i i've had to come overcome it a, a few times in my life and i just want people to 
to know that if if you stick with it, if you if you really love it, and if you're doing it for the right reasons, mm-hmm. everything will work out in your favor. Mm-hmm. And I just I just want to give that advice to anybody that feels like they're walking in into a space where they're not seen, where they're not heard. Mm-hmm. If you do it for the right reasons, you will eventually be seen and you will eventually be heard. So just just stick with it. Mm. Yeah, awesome. I love that. Love that. Great wisdom. I want to talk about real quick, because this is, this is kind of like you're in that world that I think is a mystery to a lot of people. It's a like, mystery to me. How do you, can you talk about the business side of it? You know, because there's obviously the, I, I call it the artist dilemma of like staying true to who you are as a performer, but then you also got to make money, you know, and right. it is a business. It's a big right, business. Right, right. And so can I walk through like, how do you get to, you know, your first Broadway? Like, when do you get an agent? When do you hire some of these people? When do you know, like, when did you get more of the business savvy side of it to really start protecting yourself? And how do you make a career out of it? Yeah. Uh, the way that I actually got into it is uh, an agent reached out to me after seeing me in a show. A lot of times that's the way that it happened. You, a lot of people will invite agents to come and see them in a show. Sometimes you have to actually invest in the career before you actually get the career. So mm. there's sometimes a lot of money being spent before you actually get to the point that you're trying to reach. But um, an agent's DDO, they uh, seen me in a, saw me in a performance and asked me if I wanted to come in for a meeting. I came in for a meeting. I freelanced for a little while. I think I freelanced for like two months because I kept booking jobs. And they're like, uh, maybe we should just go ahead and sign him. Mm. <laughs> so I finally uh, was signed in 2000 and. 2010, I was signed. And um, I, I, I was so lucky to have found an agent because now if you don't have an agent, it's, it's pretty hard to find any job these days. It used to be a lot easier mm-hmm. back in the day, not having an agent and, you know, not having to pay them that 10% or 20% every single week, because that is what the fee is once you get the job and they've negotiated your contracts. It's about 10 to 20%. Usually it's 10% for an agent, 20% if you have a manager. And if you have both a manager and an agent, it's 30% because the agent wants their 10% and the manager wants their 20%. So wow. you kind of you might want to decide on which one works best for you. I don't have a manager because I don't, I don't think I need a manager and my mom would probably be my manager before it anybody else would be sure she's going to sell you better than anybody <laughs> she's else <is> always <laughs> ever since I was like, I'm going to be your manager. I'm going to be. So when it comes the time for me to actually have a manager, and can you, be. can you just like, what's the difference? Agent is the person booking you. Well, an agent and Walk a manager, the difference. Uh, an agent and a manager can, can get you bookings, but a manager is way more hands on with you. They, they kind of manage who you are as a person, as well as your career. Your agent uh, more or less gets you auditions and negotiate your contracts. But managers also do negotiations, but they manage your life as well mm. as your career for the most mm. part. Gotcha. They tell you where to go, what to do, who to talk to, not to talk, not, not to talk to. So it's kind of like a manager slash PR person. But kind of protecting some, the brand. Right, right, right. 
But eventually people get managers and PR people. So if you have a manager, a PR person and an agent, that's when you're making the big dollars because <laughs> then you got to get lawyers involved. You got to get up. So, yeah. Sure. One day, God, one day. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm grateful right for where I am. I'm truly grateful for where I am right now. So, awesome. yeah. All right, Antoine. I want to hear about the roles that you played in each one of these plays, whether it be Memphis, Cats, Miss Saigon. I want to hear about the specific characters that you got to play. In Cats, I got to play Old Deuteronomy, who was the big old cat. Uh, very regal, very, very respected, very old. Um, I, how old was I when I played that role? Uh, 2008, I was 27 years old and I was playing wow. a 50 year old plus cat. Cause I mean, in cats, what happens is they're, they're, they're reborn and reborn and reborn. So mm-hmm. this cat was about 50 Wise. years old. Yeah, so I went from playing a giant bird to playing a giant cat. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people love that joke. Um, uh, and, and playing, let me see, I played uh, John in Miss Saigon, who was a black man in Vietnam and all that went along with that. He was, he was a, pretty, a pretty complex character because he had to deal with his own stuff as well as dealing with being in the situation of Vietnam War, dealing with the situation of his friend and his relationship. If you guys haven't seen Miss Saigon or read about Miss Saigon, I, uh, I ask that you do that so you get a little more of, of, of the context that I'm talking about. Sure, sure. Um, I got to play Harpo in The Color Purple, who was a young man trying to find his way and, and dealing with his upbringing from his abusive father and, mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to break gen- generational curses and, 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 and how he treated people. Because back then, a lot of people may say, oh, this person was mean, this person was disrespectful. But a lot of times that's the only, the only thing that they knew because that's, that's how they grew up. So to play Harpo, who was, was so complex and trying to find his way and relating that to, to my own self, as I try to navigate and find my way and right. you no know, change generational things. Um, I was also able to play Lord Pinkleton in Cinderella, which mm. was a, a, a more fun character. You know, he, he delivered the news and, you know, everybody loved him. And it was a, it was a, a, a very playful character. Mm-hmm. Um, in Carousel, I got to understudy the role of Billy Bigelow. Now, what's so interesting about carousel is Billy Bigelow is normally traditionally played by a white man in the Broadway revival production. He was a black man. So if, if you're not uh, familiar with the story of Billy Bigelow and carousel, Billy Bigelow was an abusive husband, uh, a a neglectful father, uh, just an all around, not great guy. So when you implement this person being a black man who was married, the, his wife was still white. Oh boy. In, yeah. In, right. In our revival. So dealing with the complexity of that. Wow. So I, I, I've gotten to play some, some amazing complex roles in my life just on Broadway. So. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thankful. What's the Michael Jackson character? Now that I cannot give out yet. Mm. <laughs> I love it. Okay. I mean, uh, the, the show, the show coming out is public uh, in, right, right. In, in that regard, but who I am playing cannot yet. Be. 
Sure. Okay. Well, I respect that, I guess. I I got it. Is it like, it's not like a concert tour. It's about his life. Uh, or can you just kind of frame in what it's about at a very high level or, um, it's, Hmm. I can say that there's going to be 25 or so Michael Jackson songs that people are going to love. Right. Sure. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm coming to that. Like I'm just going to get me publicly announcing. (laughs) I will be there. I I will be a front row. I will be loving every minute of it. You're going to have to strap him down. I think. All I can say is it's going to be great. Uh, I don't know if you know who Ephraim Sykes is, but if if you don't, please look him up. He is going to be our amazing Michael Jackson. Showstopper. This man has breathed and lived Michael Jackson his entire life. So when watching him in the room, it's it's incredible. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. You know, it's funny because I went to Vegas to watch the Jackson show. Right, right, right. Right. Uh, And I'm not saying I was disappointed, but there was some, there was some, uh, what would I say? It was like the cross between acrobatics and dancing. And so it wasn't doing one thing great. Does that make sense? Like it was the acrobats were fine, you know, and the dancer was like fine, but you have acrobats dancing (laughs) and dancers doing acrobats. Right. And so what I'm excited about is Broadway, they're going to sing crazy. And they're going to be dancing like crazy. So like it's going to bring it to a whole nother level. It's going to give you exactly what you expect of Michael Jackson Jackson. and a show about Michael Jackson. Now, how do you get, is there incentive if the show does better than not? Is it like for multiple years that you're doing this? Do you ever get sick of singing the same song? (laughs) Oh, I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) let me, let me say this because a lot of people misconstrue Broadway Uh and performing. At the end of the day, it's a job. So, you know, uh-huh. when you go to your job every day and you're like, oh, man, I want to be here today. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it, it truly it truly is like that. We're doing eight shows a week. So, wow. And we have to give that same energy every single time that we do a show. And shows on Broadway are about two and a half to three hours long, depending wow. on the shows. And sometimes you do them two, two, two shows a day. On Wednesdays and Saturdays, you do two shows so to do eight shows and to be able to bring that energy every single day you have to love what you do and that's after you have you have rehearsed for months yes it's almost just like that uh, old analogy like you know when once a popular song popular actor gets a hit song they've sang that freaking song (laughs) so many times right they're almost sick of it. And so how do you keep your enthusiasm up and how, because I remember this is a little bit I can relate is this, the audience also plays in a lot of that. And each Absolutely. audience is different, which mm-hmm. is fun, uh, which makes your job even more. Okay. So let me ask you this. Have you ever screwed up on stage and how oh. did you overcome that baby? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's live theater. This is yeah. a television where they can say, okay, no, we got to go back. There have been times, I mean, there have been times where I've forgotten entire verses to a song and people are cued on your, their interests Uh are cued on something that you may say or something that you may do. The domino didn't fall. What do I do now? (laughs) So I I remember this, this one time very clearly. It was my last day on the Cinderella tour right before I was about to start the color purple. And I had this huge speech where I'm uh, 
I'm announcing that uh, the prince is about to have this moment where everybody comes in and tries on the shoe. I completely forgot an entire verse. And this is while people are doing their costume changes. So what I'm saying is time to give these people enough to do their costume change. Right. And I completely blanked on the verse. Oh, and straight to the last word. People were running <laughs> out, wigs half on, zipping up dresses, putting on shit. It was a disaster. But I just say that to say, hey, you just got to keep going no matter yeah. what. And, and mistakes happen. And then you yeah. laugh about them later. But that's, you know, that's what makes life fun and enjoyable, the good and the bad. The question I've always had about the theater is, you know, these shows go on for, you know, like you're saying a year, halfway through you're sucking wind. Like, is there performance reviews? Like, is there somebody Ooh, waiting in question. the wings to take your spot? Oh, there's like, oh, I mean, shows run for way longer than a year. Usually uh, you're contracted to do a year. Uh, Chicago's been on Broadway now, I think, for 25 years. Phantom's wow. been on Broadway for 35 years. I mean, it, it, it just depends. But there's definitely always somebody in the wings waiting mm. <laughs> for your job. You're screw up. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, not screw up, but like, you know, when you're, you're ready to leave the show and somebody's yeah. ready to, to come on. But um, 1% of people that come to New York to audition to be on Broadway make it. 1%. Wow. So we talk a lot about residual income. And this is, it seems to me from the outside looking in, this is a tough business. Oh. Yeah. It will spit you out if you're not careful. How are you now? You've been in this nearly a decade. Mm -hmm. How are you now positioning yourself to, you know, probably thinking more about the longevity of your career, monetizing your talents in different ways? You've got agents. How are you positioning yourself to, you know, kind of build other streams of income? And, and can you do that in time, into your contracts with these shows now that you have the stature that you do? Like, can you kind of frame some of that in? It's a great well, question. Well, yeah, uh, uh, that's, that's why you have your agent or your manager to negotiate the best possible contract that you can. So say um, I'm going to be starting a show on Broadway and I'm in it and I'm contracted for a year, but I know that there's another project, a huge project that I know that's coming up maybe halfway through my year contract. Your agent or manager has the opportunity to ask the producers, hey, so in six months, can Antoine go away for two weeks to do this movie or, or do this project that's probably going to eventually further his career or, or give him the finances that he needs? And sure. sometimes uh, uh, the producers will say yes. Sometimes the producers will say no. But for the most part, producers understand that the business that we are in is very, very hard. So any opportunities that we get, they, they, they try to root for us to continue to get those opportunities. And um, the way that I set myself up is I do theater. I do Broadway, yes, but I also am able to do commercials. Uh, I do voiceovers, which is right now so lucrative because people aren't able to be in close proximity to film commercials. So right. The voiceover commercial business is booming, booming, booming right now. Mm. So I thank you, God, that I'm able to uh, continue to work and have a great flow of income coming in. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's very important to have as many streams of income as you can, even if they're small streams of income. 
And what, sure. I, what I like about what you did is you've you've aligned them to your gifts. Right. So you're doing voiceover, right? You have amazing voice. You're doing theater. You're doing bro- like you're doing many different ways things, right. but it's not like, yeah, and over here I have an ice cream cone business. What? Right, 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 right. <laughs> So, so it's, yeah, everything that I do is kind of uh, uh, umbrellaed under the same, right? The same thing. Good. Yeah. Okay. I want. We talk a lot about mentorship as the cheat code of life. Mm-hmm. So I want to give you an opportunity to shout out to your mentors that helped you get to where you're at today. Oh, I have to first of all start with my mother, Christine mm-hmm. Wooten, my father, Cleotha Wooten. Thank you for. I mean. The life that I have right now would not even exist mm. without those two and their example of hard work and and being good to people. You have mm. got to be good to people. Mm. You could be the difference between saving somebody's life and 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 them deciding, oh, I don't want to live anymore by just giving them that one small piece of encouragement or mm-hmm. even just saying hello or, you know, just, just smile, just, right? Just smile especially today. Mental mm-hmm. illness is a real thing. And I'm glad that people are finally uh, putting it on the forefront and realizing that this, this is a real thing. So my mother and father were my first mentors. Then I, I have to bring it down to Julie and Amy DeGroot and Penny Rossford. Mm. These were our dance The West High coaches. Dance Coaches. <laughs> I mean, these... These people went hard for us. They taught us a lot of responsibility. Right. Uh, they they maturity they maturity, which wasn't easy. They taught us. <laughs> they taught us maturity, <laughs> but we we definitely had our moments. But right. you know, for the most part, they wanted to see us succeed. They mm-hmm. they were so they had a twenty five year successful run. Well, longer than that, it was. 25 or 30 something when I left. Mm -hmm. So they had a very, very, very great career and run with the dance squad, dance squad, because of Mm -hmm. obvious reasons. They were great people, great mentors. They sacrificed a lot. They gave a lot. They didn't ask for a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know they're going to listen to this. So I just want to say, because I've had a couple, a couple things in my life and I've gotten to be on stage a couple of times, blah, blah, blah. And it's interesting because always the producers will come up to me and be like, Hey, like how you conduct yourself is so professional versus everybody else. And I totally give them credit. Like in high school, they corralled a cheetah (laughs) and, and now I can installate, you know, I, I can install those things that they, I mean, they drove home no, you need to be professional. You need to walk like this. You need to act right. like a professional. And we were in high school. So right. that was a huge deal. So I totally edified those people as well. So keep going. They, Sorry. They were amazing. Uh, and then I have to give a shout out to uh, uh, Russ Clifford, who was our choir director, who mentored me, who mm. pushed me to, he was the reason that I wanted to be an opera singer. He he just he just gave me the motivation that I needed, and he saw something in me that I had never seen before. I mean, I grew up singing gospel, and then he said, "Hey, come sing this song out of this twenty seven arias book." <laughs> okay, and I mean, then I didn't know how to read music. I was just he would play it, and then I would sing it, and then mm. that's. But he he was definitely another great mentor in my life. Uh, Fitzgerald Grant of the Sanford Center in Sioux City was a another great mentor of mine. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out. I, I think those are truly the people 
who gave me the foundation that I have right now. And the people that I've met along the way, you know, have continued to build on that foundation. But once your foundation is strong, my God, Mm. everything is possible. Right. Oh, and God, I thank you. Also Mm -hmm. my mentor, Mm -hmm. not here in the physical form, but there in spiritual and mental form. I thank you, God. So yeah. That's so true. I got it. I got to ask a question. So I, my kids and I have kind of gotten into the mass singer and you hear a lot of these artists <laughs> right. talk about the anonymity and being able to perform without being seen and being judged and, and you know, whatever their past is, but was big bird that role? Like, did that give you confidence being behind the costume or I was just kind of curious. Um, I think I always had the confidence, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, because before that I had been doing theater, I did right, high school, right. middle school. I was in the uh, community theaters, so I I always think I had that confidence. But Big Bird helped me to to become a better performer because people weren't seeing me perform, and I had to be okay with that. People were right. seeing Big Bird. And when we gave interviews, we couldn't say, oh, I'm playing Big Bird. It had to be, I'm a friend of Big Bird. I'm a friend of Elmo. I'm a friend uh, of Oscar the Grouch. So, you know, it, it humbled you mm. a lot. You know, when, when you have to dance in front of, in overalls, a white t-shirt and a red bow tie. A red sequin bow tie. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of confidence to do a lot of things. And, right. uh, come on, ride that train comes on and you have to bring it down. <laughs> right, 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 right. It gives you experience oh, that you funny. never thought you'd have. Right. So I mean, and it, oh God, those moments. We were like, we were literally superstars. We were. It was crazy. Like, we again, these competitions, deaf. we were yeah. superstars. Like, like, I couldn't hear after we got done. Like, it was, right. I, 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 I mean, I, you think I'm exaggerating, but it, you know, and people are like you're on dance squad. I was like, listen, let me tell you the ratio between guys and girls. You tell me when you want to start dance squad. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love it, Antoine. Antoine this is been a joy. We need, we need a story. We need a story we haven't heard about about Philip. He's pretty <laughs> quiet about the story. He doesn't share a lot. <laughs> I can't do that. There is just one no, no, above board. A, no, no. There's a brother code that is real. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to stick with that today. I appreciate that. Thank Just you. Know that Philip Ramsey is a great man. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say, gentlemen and a scholar. <laughs> how, do, how does our listeners find out more about you? And uh, don't leave me out. When do we? When can I go and see you and Michael Jackson? Uh, well, you can follow me on Instagram at Antoine L Smith thirty two A N T O I N E L as in Larry. You said, when can you see me? When? Where? And Michael Jackson. I'm coming. Oh, to see oh, you. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe we start performances March 8th. Yeah, uh, we start uh, the show March 8th. We officially open April 23rd, I believe. Mm. So uh, there's a difference between previews and being open. Previews is it's four weeks of performances, but that gives the director and producers the time to change anything that they want to change sure. in the show. Because once the show is open... It is, uh, the term is called frozen, which means they can't change anything else after that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So we start previews in March and we open in April. But I believe you can start buying tickets now. Okay. At uh, mjthemusical.com. What's like the best? Give us us some of our listeners, like some of the secrets. Like if you're going to go to a show, 
Is there hmm. a better day to see the show, better time? I would recommend seeing a matinee, which on, on Wednesdays and Saturdays, the matinees are usually at three o'clock p.m. So you have all of your evening to do whatever you want. Go out and do something before and then come and enjoy a show at three o'clock. I, the, the main advice that I would give for people who can is to go straight to the box office to buy your tickets. Because mm-hmm. once you start buying them on like Ticketmaster and things like that, you have these third party fees that sometimes almost equate to the amount of the ticket. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the box office and sometimes if you ask for rush tickets, these tickets are like $40 and they're great, great seats. They may be like a partial view, which is why they sell them for $40. But sometimes the partial view is like the left side of somebody's body. Mm-hmm. You'll see the main stuff on the stage. Mm-hmm. So right. ask uh, for rush tickets, go to the box office if you can. And uh Yeah. Those are good. Now, is this one of those shows that you want to be front and center? Like, and maybe you can't answer that yet. To me, I would say you want to be above and maybe like the mezzanine or the balcony. Okay. I think that's because there's a lot of dancing going on. So Mm. you're going to want to see, you know, a a lot of stuff from above and not having to look up. Right. Good. Antoine, man, I cannot thank you enough for just the wisdom that you impart and going down this uncommon path because not a lot of people do. And when they hit adversity, they run away. But that's not what you did, man. And so I cannot wait to see just your career uh, explode. I cannot wait to see you on the Michael Jackson stage uh, in person. I can't wait to give you a big old hug. And yes. uh, man, thank you for just all the wisdom that you've given to our listeners. Thank you for uh, going after this uncommon life so hard and just being an example to so many people, brother. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Uncommon Life Project. I've been your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. Thanks and tune in to the next time. Until then, go be uncommon. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project. Brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.